conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I am joined once again by Katie Schaefer. We are doing a long-awaited follow-up on my part to Batman the Long Halloween, which I covered very, very early on in this podcast. And we are talking about Batman Dark Victory, which is a sequel to The Long Halloween, written by Jeff Loeb, and the artist is Tim Sale. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I love this comic, and these are two of my favorite creators, especially when they work together. So I was very excited to talk about it. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know, they have another comic, which is Batman Haunted Night. So if you're looking for a trio of Batman comics to check out, I highly recommend these ones. And, you know, it's always iffy when you have contained stories that are acting as sequels, in my opinion. But I think this one works really, really well. Because as far as I know, these stories don't tie into like the DC universe as a whole, as if they were doing like a crisis on infinite earths kind of thing. It's just, here are some contained Batman stories, and we're going to give you a sequel to The Long Halloween, which is personally one of my favorites. Mine too. And I, I agree, it is hard to it's hard to do this and make it come off, especially when you're doing a sequel to something, because like The Long Halloween is a classic and wonderful, and it stands perfectly well by itself. And I am shocked that they were able to pull this one off. And it feels like you could just read it on its own, and you wouldn't be too lost. Like They give you enough info throughout the comic without it being this huge exposition dump that like you, you'll still find it interesting. Yeah, and... Even if you haven't read The Long Halloween, I think they give you enough in this comic to where if you don't have all of that knowledge of what happened there, you can still piece it together, which I think is very helpful for a sequel like this in particular. You know, sometimes I will read the big event books and not read all of the tie ins. And there are times where it feels like you're missing some big pieces of information. And I just find those a lot harder to read because I don't want to have to read 50 or 60 issues of, you know, even with Marvel, let's say Civil War or something. And I'm pretty sure I actually did eventually read almost all of the tie-ins for the first Civil War. But it's just so refreshing when you get a story that doesn't require like years of background information. Yes. And this one just kind of dives into it. And if you have read The Long Halloween, it's it goes perfectly and you just kind of are dipped right back into that world. And it was interesting. Um, the copy I have, I just got a new one, of has a, an intro written by David S. Goyer, who helped write Batman Begins, uh, The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Returns. And he talked about how this and The Long Halloween were such big influences for him and Christopher Nolan while they were doing that. And I just, that was really, you know, it, it was a really nifty piece of info to know because there's so many different kinds of Batman stories, but a few of them are pretty repetitive. Um, and like everybody knows the beats, like Harvey Dent, you know, the beats of Harvey Dent's story. And this covers those, but it covers them in a very unique way. And so it was cool to know that this is what inspired that, especially the best in that trilogy, in my opinion, The Dark Knight. And 
certainly Aaron Eckhart, who plays uh, Two-Face and slash Harvey Dent in that, is channeling that character so perfectly from the comics. And in that introduction you mentioned, it specifically says, you know, Dark Victory owes more to the Godfather films and various mob pictures than it does your standard cape and costume fare. And when you're reading this, you really get that mob mentality behind this story. And I really like that because it's not that I've necessarily been a huge fan of mob stories for like a very long time, but I've watched, you know, The Irishman and a bunch of Scorsese stuff and, you know. The classics. Yeah. If, is The Irishman a classic already? Who knows? But... It's a Scorsese. Everything Scorsese does just instantly it's, classic. Know, even remotely popular. It's like, oh well, it's a Scorsese film. That's fair. Except After Hours for some reason, which is also a great movie, but nobody loves it. I haven't seen it. But I have seen Goodfellas, you know. So I've I've hit some of the important ones at least. And because of the way that Harvey Dent's character in particular is written, you really get that feeling because it's not only the fact that he was a lawyer. And he was prosecuting a bunch of cases. And so he has ties to the court. He has ties to the new DA, Porter. And then you have all of these ties to these crime families. And I love how they bring those in. And this was something that I thought, you know, in particular, the Gotham TV show did fairly well was they introduced you to a lot of these different crime families. And there are a lot of Batman stories where they don't even come up, which is almost hard to believe in a sense, just because of how prominent they are within the city. It's kind of like the Wayne's not coming up in a Batman story. Right. And I think very modern day Batman comics tend to kind of just gloss over that because, you know, Batman has such a great host of villains of the quote unquote freak type, as the gangsters insist on calling them. So I think there's a lot of excitement and temptation for writers and illustrators to focus on those stories. But the gangster has such an interesting place. And, and Gotham is the perfect, perfect spot for gangsters. And I loved the the dialogue in this. There's more than one instance where one of the, the mob men goes, forget about it. And it's all written as one word. <laughs> and I was like, I could just hear Joe Pesci in my head saying it. Yeah, it was really fun to revisit this. And we should note that it is 13 main issues and they have an issue zero that's kind of like a prequel. And I think the Long Halloween was the same way, if I'm not mistaken. When you think of like a mini or limited series or maxi series, I have absolutely no clue what they call them anymore at this point. But usually that's 12 issues. Right. It's a year. Right. For these to be just a little longer, you're just getting something a little extra out of them. And with Dark Victory, you know... I had read this one a while ago, probably after I read Long Halloween, because I picked up, you know, these two and the one I mentioned earlier, Haunted Night, which I don't remember quite as much of that one. I'll have to revisit that too now that I've gone and read Dark Victory again. But with these two, they just work so well together and they work so well as standalones. And you really have to credit Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale for bringing these stories to life in a way that allows you to enjoy them either individually or, you know, together as a whole, because you could easily just pick up 
the long Halloween and go straight into Dark Victory. And it feels like you're reading the same comic the entire time. It does. It doesn't ever feel like it's repeating itself, but it all feels like it's of a piece. But there are pieces that you could take apart. So it's just, it's very modular almost. I was working at a comic shop when this came out, which is probably the only reason I know about it. They did a four-issue Catwoman series that takes place when Selena is in Italy during this book. And you see what she does with the Falcons and what she's trying to accomplish there. I have it and I saw that it was coming out and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing because I love Catwoman. And I love her in this in particular. She's such an interesting character and so complicated, especially with that reveal at the end that she thinks she's Falcone's daughter. I just love how... They say it without saying it. Yes. And it takes... This this story takes its time. like, And I love that they didn't it, it limit them to 12 issues on this because it allows it to kind of stretch and nothing feels rushed and everything gets an appropriate amount of setup time. And like, I forgot that you don't even really meet Robin until like halfway through the book. And he doesn't become, well, we meet Dick Grayson and then it's he's not Robin until like- The last issue. The last few yeah. pages. Yeah. But it doesn't feel- played out and it doesn't feel like an add-on it, it feels very much like it comes into the story when it should and it culminates as it should yeah and i actually just recently covered batgirl and robin year one have you read those ones i've read a couple issues of batgirl year one but i haven't read any of robin year one okay so just for some quick context here robin year one shows you know birth of Dick Grayson as Robin, basically. And it almost felt like this was kind of the perfect lead in to that, you know, and it's by totally different creators. And I don't even know what the exact timeline is on that one, like if they came out right around each other or what. But I just like when you can make connections like that, even from different creators works. And where Dark Victory really shines, too, is that one, I love it when Stories don't focus on the Joker every single time, you know? Yeah, he's a, and he's a side character. We get a little bit of it, but it's just like a sousson, a sprinkle of Joker. Just enough. <laughs> he appears, but it's not about him. Yeah, and he adds, he throws a little chaos into everything. And that's a really fun way to use the Joker without focusing on him as like the big bad. That's where I think the character really shines in some stories like this. He doesn't overtake the main villain who, you know, I guess for all intents and purposes is Harvey Dent. You know, we have so much focus on him, but you also have the crime families. And then, you know, we get sprinkles of Solomon Grundy, Mr. Freeze, Scarecrow, the design of the Scarecrow in this. One of my favorites. And Poison Ivy. Yeah. Oh, both of them. This is my favorite iterations of them. Just how, and we see a Poison Ivy just barely in this one I think she's more in the long Halloween but it's everything about it is beautiful and it's just I found because I, I read it tonight for this and I found myself like oh my gosh just look at these pages look how gorgeous the artwork is and look at how stylized everything is and it feels it matches the tone of the story so well like this comic would not work if it was you know like bright and bubbly or you know like a Ramita style or something like that like it needs that noir feel to it and Tim Sale is masterful at that noir 
And he doesn't do it every time because I've read like their Spider-Man and their Superman stories together. And those have a very different tone and an entirely different. It's still Tim Sale's art, but it has a very different look to it. So it's just so impressive and such a pleasure to read because you can just kind of get lost staring at the page. And they're so good at communicating intention and emotion and movement with still images. It's what good comics do best. Yeah, and we haven't really talked about the story just yet. <laughs> and there's right? just so much to say about this comic because the art is amazing. The story is really well done. It's super well paced. And, you know, I've been reading comics a little more lately, you know, for anyone who is familiar with my other podcast chat cemetery i've been reading a lot of stephen king but i'm coming to a close on that as far as the book reading goes this year so i'm like creeping in on being done with that massive amount of reading to where i have time to read a few other things you know once i got past under the dome i was like this is a breeze but you know so i've been fitting some more comics in and a lot of them have been dc comics as of late i've read Crisis on Infinite Earths. I followed that up and read Infinite Crisis. And then I reread The Batgirl and Robin Year One I was telling you about. I reread this. I read Batman White Knight. So, you know, I am someone who really enjoys Batman. I understand a lot of the problems with Batman, but his rogues gallery is just so good. And that really shines in this too, because it's not just your big massive villains it's these crime families who fly under the radar in comparison to characters like joker and solomon grundy because well grundy's so right massive literally (laughs) yes right exactly and like we even get to see the little um like the little villains in this like the penguin makes an appearance the riddler makes an appearance and i loved the riddler's appearance in this because he's not really a villain he's just kind of a a puckish sprite almost where like Batman uses him for his intelligence. And it's so interesting how he interprets it. And I just like that. And then when Batman goes into the sewer and Solomon Grundy is in there, like it allows these characters to be full characters instead of like, this is a bad guy and this is a good guy and always they shall fight. It's got nuance to it. It really does. So to dive into the story, we get this follow up to Holiday in The Long Halloween, who was the killer who was killing on holidays. And obviously, Calendar Man has to come into play because that's his thing. We love a good Calendar Man appearance. We love it. He's he's so petty. He's just so petty. And I love that about him. He gets very creepy in this, too. (laughs) He does. He gets his, like, creeper do where it's like, okay, I see why you're an Arkham man. Like, before, I didn't really see why. You just kind of seem harmless. But no, not after this one. It really is just so, so wild. And, you know, they are getting all of these clues from a serial killer they're calling the hangman. So, you know, you and I probably could put most of the puzzles together because they all had to do with the court and, you know, the law and things like that. And you have everything pointing to Harvey Dent in this. And even, you know, Harvey thinks it's Harvey. Yes. Yep. 
because Harvey doesn't know what's necessarily happening with Two-Face. Yeah, I like that there's all this misdirection and it, it is, you don't really know until the end and then and it does make sense. Like it's a fair mystery and I love that about it because a Batman story that has actual like detective work and mystery in it is always a treat. And the, in the beginning, it feels very vague, you know, because you kind of automatically assume it's Alberto who's doing it again. But then we get to see all these little bits, like with the new DA, Janice Porter, who's comes in very ambiguous about where her loyalties lie and who she's working for and maintains that up until the very end when you see it. And I just, I really enjoy that. Also, we are seeing the fallout of Harvey Dent's loss in this with James Gordon and with Bruce Wayne and with Batman, because, you know, that's two different characters, in my opinion, as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Absolutely. They work together, yeah. but not all the time. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes their interests are directly opposed. Sometimes they are acting like Two-Face, which... You yes. know, in the in yes. the name of good, at least. And I just looked it up and did confirm right. that Robin Year One is, in fact, a sequel to this by a different creative team. So that makes sense why my brain made that connection. Yeah, definitely. And I think with this, because of the fact that, you know, Alberto didn't appear until the long Halloween, like that was his first appearance in the comics ever. And to have him come back for this, and I don't know the history of that character in particular to know if they brought him back later, but with families like the Falcons, the Maronis, you know, there can be so many people in these families <laughs> and you right. just, you're right. never going to know where it's going to end because, you know, there could be a cousin who comes over for, from Italy, like in The Sopranos. It's just going to be something that kind of cycles through generation to generation, and there's really no limit to what they can do with these families, in a sense. It's kind of like how there are these legacy families in Gotham, and you kind of know all of the family names, and obviously Wayne is a big one, and it remains to be seen, you know, what kind of legacy is going to be left because in the comics, nobody ever dies. Like, are we ever going to see Bruce Wayne really die? And, you know, Damien as a full-blown adult? No. Who knows? You know, they might do a version of that <laughs> much in the same way that Marvel did recently with Chip Zdarsky's Spider-Man life story where they let Peter Parker live out his life until he was an old man. You know, they could do stuff like that on the side and have it not impact the main continuity, and honestly, it seems like I have enjoyed comics that don't tie directly into the main continuity a lot more than some other stuff. And I don't know if that's just because it's so much. Right. You're digging yourself a hole every time you want to like catch up on a continuity with someone. Yeah. And I was doing a fairly good job of checking out a bunch of the Rebirth stuff when that came out. But even I fell off of it at some point, probably because I started a Stephen King podcast. Let's all be honest here. <laughs> but I find myself just really wanting to read contained stories or like, especially now with having DC Universe Infinite, I'm kind of like, okay, well, this will at least tell me 
how everything ties in and what order to read stuff in, which is nice if I do want to dive into events and things like that. But, you know, one of the first things I read, like I was saying recently, was Batman White Knight because I was like, I feel like this is a little more contained than other stuff. And Dark Victory is very much that way, too. And I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself here. So, Katie, tell me what some of the things you love about this are. So I wanted really to talk about the characters in this because that is such a huge point of love for me. Even the bad ones and seeing how they come out and and what's actually going on by the end. Like Janice Porter, the, the DA who has replaced Harvey Dent, is is just a fascinating character. And like she's very hateable from the beginning. And then like I kind of felt a little bit for her and then it immediately went right back to, to hateable. <laughs> like with Sophia, you know, who's the ostensive head of the crime family now or head of the Falcone family now, like you kind of understand and feel for her that she's lost everything and all of this. And then you get that amazing reveal at the end. There's just so much character set up in this that I, I just love. And I've read it a few times. So... And I usually put a few years in between when I read it. So it's like, I kind of remember what's going on, but then it spins out and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, it just surprises me all over again with how great the character development is in this. In particular, Batman, how damaged Batman is by Harvey Dent's loss and his guilt over the whole thing and how he is reacting to this hangman killer situation and refusing help and being I must do it all myself and you know this is a very young Batman this is not you know (laughs) let's see this is this is not a Batman in his prime this is a Batman who's still starting out still trying to find his feet and still figuring out what his place and purpose is and in this, you really see him learn the lesson. And it's obviously incredibly difficult for Batman to learn anything because he's Batman and he thinks he knows it all. But in this, we get to see the Batman side of emotions. And that's so satisfying because it feels commensurate to what he lost in that, in losing Harvey Dent as both his friend and the DA. One thing I really liked in particular was when he revealed himself to Dick Grayson because it really felt like he was trying to open up in a way that he wouldn't necessarily do with anyone else. I mean, other than Alfred, obviously, because Alfred already knew, but he felt bad that he was just leaving this kid with Alfred and, you know, he wanted to do right by him. So he was like, okay, I have to tell this kid the truth. I don't really have to expose him to it. But then, like you said, at the end there, we finally get the whole scene with Robin and him saying the the dynamic duo. And I really love oh, that, that because it showed that even if Bruce is never really going to be seen as a father figure, he was like, I understand what this kid is going through. So I'm going to help him however he feels he needs help, basically, but within reason. So, you know, Robin proves useful before he's Robin. And we learned that his mom actually gave him that nickname. And I thought that was very delightful because it wasn't just this thing that Batman came up with. It's something that belongs to Dick, which is then funny that all the other Robins are Robins, but it's comics. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You can't hold it to, to too high a standard. Yeah. And I think that he 
tells, he shows Dick who he is because of his experience with Harvey, because he realizes that if he had shown more trust to someone, maybe he wouldn't have lost them. And I just really enjoy that. And it's the same even with Alfred. And like, Alfred, for me, is the unsung, awesome Batman character. In particular, Batman Odyssey. I don't know if those of you who have read Batman Odyssey by um, Neil Adams, it is bonkers wild nuts. (laughs) Like... Totally worth picking up the first six issues um, or reading them online. But Alfred in this, we get to see a moment of growth for him, too, when Bruce has brought Dick home and Dick is having a moment of like, I'm all alone. And Alfred steps in and says, this is what I should have said all those years ago. And we can see the ramifications of him not saying it to Bruce when he was young from the very beginning of the book, because all it says in the very beginning is Bruce says, now I am alone. And I was always alone. And since my parents died, and it very much does feel like when I read it, I was like, bruh, you got Alfred. What are you talking about? (laughs) Like, you you have someone who who's keeping your identity a secret and all of this like you do not show appreciation for your boy. Sometimes you just have to knock some sense into Batman. Mhm. And that's Alfred's role. He's not really a, a big presence in this, but that little bit we do get of him is so heartwarming and adds to the character so much cuz I kind of look at Alfred as like every movie, comic, Every interaction you have with Alfred just kind of builds on who the character is because you don't get to see a whole lot of him. He gets to have all of these dimensions to him based on all of that. And it's just so fun when the writers take the time to recognize the importance of his contributions to making Bruce who he is, both for the good and the bad, and allow those moments to come through without making it like this big boohoo, sloppy emotional mess it's very pointed and elegant the thing about this story too is that there are so many crimes happening that seemingly don't have anything to do with the whole serial killer storyline but the way they have everything come full circle is just so wild you know there's truly so much going on in this Right? It's hard to keep track of at points. Points I had to stop and like put the book down and I was like, okay, tracing it back in my head, like this happened and this happened. Okay, no, there we go. There we go. And, you know, the big question I had for you, what do you think they were doing with Gilda? Because we find out at the end of The Long Halloween that Gilda, Harvey's wife, was actually also the holiday killer. Because she does like one or two of them at the very end of things and then is burning stuff and then just vanishes. And they make multiple references to her that she vanished without a trace and all of this. And I'm like, okay, I feel like this is a Chekhov's gun situation and that where the hell is Gilda? And like this feels very important to this story, but it doesn't ever feel paid out. Like, what did you think about that inclusion? I don't know, because like I said, there's so much going on. You know, we find out that Sophia was the killer this time around, and she was just pretending to be a paraplegic this whole time. And, you know, that's some dedication. I will give her that. Especially when the Joker is holding a gun on her. Like, she's willing to die for this deception. (laughs) It's truly just so insane. And then you have that moment where Joker has Janice Porter at gunpoint as well. And then 
he just keeps talking and Janice is begging Harvey to be like, no, we're in love, you know, just tell him and just tell him. And then Harvey's just like, well, technically Two-Face just shoots her. And he is like Harvey right. Dent's a married man. And if Gilda had been dead, you know, sure, okay, that line still kind of works. But knowing that she's just gone, it gives you this feeling that Two-Face knows something that we don't. Right. That's totally, okay, good. I wasn't alone in feeling that because that moment, and there's a couple of other little moments in there where she gets brought up where I was like, why are we alluding to her so much? Like, this is a, this feels very important beyond the idea that, like, of course, Harvey Dent, as in the Harvey Dent half of Two-Face, not the whole character, like, is still in love with her and still has all of the honor f and feelings for her and all of that. So, of course, that's going to affect his actions. That was, I think, one of the few places where I felt a little lost of like, why are we including this so much? Because I expected like, is Janice secretly Gilda? Like dyeing her hair and changing her face slightly? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> and then, you know, they bring out the proof that, oh, no, she was his student or whatever. And it's like, that's, I think, the only part of this that feels unsatisfying is that we never find out what happened to Gilda. Yeah. And I think that's why this one just comes in a notch under the long Halloween for me, because it felt like the long Halloween was giving you s enough stuff to keep you satisfied with how it ended. But here they kind of did not exactly the opposite, but they threw in a few things that just didn't get resolved, like the whole thing with Gilda. And you even have Calendar Man hinting that Holiday could have been a female killer, which given the violence in a lot of these things, a lot of these crimes, I guess, you know, you have this notion that, oh, we automatically think it was a man because women don't kill this way. Yeah. In in popular culture and then the idea of women only kill women, women are poisoners, not brutal murderers is, is how people think of it. And I I also just love what they do with Calendar Man and making him feel like I know what's going on. And it's like, do you, though? I feel like you might have some insight into this, but you might also be talking entirely out of your ass. And he's just so blank all the time. He's got that weird little creepy smile going on that it's, it's such an effective use of his character. Not to mention the head tattoos of all the months. <laughs> I loved that. I was like, why would you get that? Why would you do that to yourself? But, you know different strokes for different folks i guess <laughs> well no he explicitly states that he's not a murderer if you're a, a, a mentally challenged or mentally ill criminal but not murderer you do what you do i guess yeah and what we see him doing in this which is a reveal i didn't remember was that he was like inside the walls yes. and just terrorizing Alberto and, you know, pretending to be his father. And it's finally, you know, revealed that there were these like giant hallways in between the walls, which usually you would notice if all of a sudden your walls go from, you know, six inches to, you know, four feet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right? And at some points, that's what it is. And I was just like, yeah, no, no, that doesn't work. Because there was like a whole camera in there and he was sitting in a chair. He like had all sorts of space going on in there. 
I chalked it up to the idea that it was a mobster's mansion. And so maybe the mobster had built the mansion to like have secret rooms and passageways because otherwise, yeah. Well, and that's what they point out because they're like, this had to have been done well before he got out. And there was some planning that went into this. So what I took away from that was that this wasn't the house he lived in before he went to jail. I don't think so. No. And this was, if I'm not mistaken, near Wayne Manor. Yes. Yep. They bring that up several times. So you could get away with having a ton of people work on this place and not really having anyone notice because everything we know about Wayne Manor, it's not in Gotham. It's kind of on the outskirts where it's not city life, really. Right. It's portrayed as it's like almost the... um castle on the cliff in some like English or Irish moor somewhere. It's always it's always uh, very foggy and and desolate. But yeah, that's kind of what I got out of it too, is that it's like this is some remote area so they can make changes and get away with it without raising too many suspicions. The way I've always seen it is that you wouldn't be going out to these areas unless you were going to like that specific manner. <laughs> Right. Like it doesn't go anywhere. The roads just go to these houses. Right. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. Like it's the it's the equivalent of a gated community in L.A. or something where it's but instead of a gate, it's just desolation all around it. and There's nothing there. So people are like, eh, not worth it. Not worth it. Yeah. Or the roads just like don't go through to the next city or something. It's like the roads lead to the houses and that's about it. It's not like a throughway, I guess. Yes. But yeah, Dark Victory. I had a lot of fun rereading this one. And I think this is one of those comics that you can kind of, like you do, revisit every few years. And I know there are people who reread certain things like every year or people who watch like, you know, all of the Star Wars movies every year and things like that. And I've never really been a huge person on doing that except for when I'm revisiting things for the podcast in particular. But I do find myself like having comfort reads almost. And <laughs> despite Same. how gruesome, you know, the long Halloween and dark victory are, these are ones I can see myself coming back to more often. And, you know, you can see the three bookshelves behind me. There are two that you can't see. So as you know, I have lots of things to read. I don't have a lack <laughs> of things to read. But, you know, these are easy enough to read in like a day or two. You know, I think I read this in technically three days. I meant to finish it last night, but then I started watching Lego Masters and that went out the window <laughs> and I finished it before this like you did. Yeah, I crammed this in. I think it took me about two hours to get through it. And just one sitting, I just went up to my bedroom and just sat down and was like, all right. And now we read Dark Victory and pet the cats. And they were very insistent on laying on my chest so that I had to hold the book at very <laughs> awkward angles because that's how my cats are. But I think for me, like I reread it because I, I get in a mood and I want to experience something that will satisfy that taste. And like, I love noir. I love noir movies, books, all that kind of stuff. And it's really hard to do noir comics right. And interestingly, like it all too often just kind of falls flat and feels like an imitation of something else. And this gets so many parts of it right that it's a very satisfying read when that's what I'm in the mood for. And usually I'll read Long Halloween and then a couple days later I'm like, 
Yeah, not done yet. Need to read Dark Victory <laughs> to get the full full flavor. It's so fascinating and so well done. And like you said earlier, you know, an encapsulated story sometimes is some of the best way to tell comic stories because you can mix and match all kinds of different things, different villains, different ideas, and put it all together. Whereas if you're going for more of a continuity, you have to plan that shit out. And it's not as easy to just throw fun ideas in there because it can screw up what your publisher has planned before or after. So I love to read Batman, especially Batman. I think Batman makes some of the best like individual stories of any comic ever because he there's so much to explore with him and he has such a great rogues rogues gallery so yeah i i'm always happy to read this and i think if you haven't read it get on it because it's great <laughs> yeah we did spoil stuff here but i think we still talked broad strokes enough to where there's so much to dive into with this and here's the thing it's not that this ruins continuity or anything it tells you dick grayson's origin as Dick Grayson's origin as we know it, the way that his origin changes is just what villains they're going up against. That's really the only thing I've noticed. It's, you know, they tell it one way or another, depending on which villains they're fighting against. But his parents always die in the circus, as far as I know. And, you know, I actually just did an episode last week on... Batgirl and Robin year one. So also check that out if you haven't yet. But Katie, I've been trying to do recommendations here. And I know there's so many Batman comics out there. But if people like Dark Victory, what would you recommend they check out? I know we've already mentioned, you know, what I just said, the long Halloween haunted night. So we've kind of already done recommendations technically. But if you have one more. Technically. Okay, so I'm going to give another plug for that Catwoman four issue thing because it's awesome. When in Rome, right? When in Rome, exactly. But I'm also going to say one of the other stories that did actually take place during Batman continuity that is a huge time and money investment that I loved was the Contagion and the No Man's Land. That stuff was, and it is definitely one of those where we talked about where it's got like, you know, issues from Nightwing and all these other random people. Huntress makes a big appearance in that one, which is where I learned about her and she's awesome. But that's one that is a lot longer, but is really, really satisfying to read because it does this same kind of thing really, really well. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and recommend Batman White Knight by Sean Murphy because after reading that, you know, it's a fun one. And I do believe there are more issues under a different like subtitle coming out now. So it's kind of like the long Halloween and dark victory where you have the first main thing going on and then they're doing a second story that is tied to it. But I haven't read that just yet. So Batman white Knight, and to Katie's point about, you know, if you don't want to spend a ton of money, but you want to read these things, DC universe infinite is really great for catching up on stuff and you could even do it where you pay for a month and just binge read a bunch of stuff and cancel it i pay for these things yearly because i'm a person who has to have all of the subscriptions all of the time just in case i need them (laughs) but i have found that and they're not paying me to say this by the way they probably should but that that's a point for another day but you know it's like 75 bucks for the entire year 
So that's the cost of three trades. Yep. That is someone who my husband and I go to the comic store regularly and he has a whole pull list. He probably picks up almost that much in comics every time he goes, right? <laughs> well, now with COVID, it's their, you know, release releases still are so staggered that he only has to go about once a month. So I would say usually that's about a month's worth of comics for in my household, but now it's about two, three months, but he'll never switch over because he loves his physical comics. But I love the idea of having that on a reader. I mean, I'm all for the physical copies too, but sometimes hey. you have five bookshelves that are full. Exactly. Storage. <laughs> I say this as someone who ordered comic books, physical comic books today and have nowhere to put them. <laughs> Yep. Hey, I know I have stacks and stacks and boxes and boxes. And I'm like, uh, and I go to the comic store regularly and I'm like, hmm, that looks cool. I'm just going to buy it. Well, that looks fun. And then I'm like, I find it a year later and I'm like, oh, still looks cool. Now I'll read it. So it's like I buy for my future self. I give myself future presents almost. So, but with those online services, the thing I like about them is that you can just, okay, I want to read all of Civil War. I'm just going to click the Civil War. And I can read it all as opposed to hunting down the 17 different titles that are in one graphic novel. Yeah, it is pretty convenient if I do say so myself. Again, they're not paying me to say this. They should. DC, hint, hint, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. But Katie, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Dark Victory. I I'm really enjoying doing more comic book episodes, so you're, of course, welcome back anytime. I will definitely be back for more comics because I am feeling it's summer. Summer is my comic reading time for some reason. So I don't know if it's the superhero outfits or whatever and it's warm, <laughs> but summer is when I run. A, I want to read all the comics. So I hope we can find something more to talk about next time. Absolutely. All right, everyone. That does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.